All right, so we've been in the midst of a time together where we're teaching through things about that concern us about the local church. Uh, many of you know that. We've done that over the last three Sundays. So we're going to continue that and begin to sort of bring some of that to a close. Um, it's kind of felt like family meetings type thing. Like we're talking about family things around uh, what we do together as a church, those sort of things. So we're going to continue that today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into a few things. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, please help us. Help us, Lord, as we open your word. Help us, God, as we consider the truths that are found there, Lord, and the encouragement that's found there, the challenge that's found there. God, encourage and challenge our souls. God, we long to be a church to the glory of your name. And we know, Lord, that if given the opportunity in our flesh, God, we mess it all up. We know that. And so we come to you in prayer, God, and we look to your word. God, we need your grace. We need your help. God, I pray that by your spirit, by the power of your spirit, God, by the goodness of your spirit, that you would guide us and unite us together around your word. God, unite our hearts in these things. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so Grace Community Church has been around for almost four years now. It's crazy, right? It's pretty amazing. Almost four years now. Uh, this church began with about 20 or 30 or so, something like that, people meeting in a small law, law office in downtown Jackson. Anybody remember that? If you, if you were part of, you know, at the very beginning, maybe the first few meetings or so, just at the very beginning of the church, throw a hand up, maybe. Scattered throughout the room. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for what the Lord's done. Uh, during that time, I was remembering this week some things about that time, uh, the very beginning of the church, like I said, almost four years ago. I remember a people, uh, hearts knit together, in love, locked arms together for the establishment of a healthy, God-glorifying local church in Jackson, Mississippi. And we were wanting to go after that at that time. Um, there were sev several things that God had gripped our hearts over. And I, and I mean that. I mean, uh, not just one or two people got it, but it just seemed like God was doing a work where several people, like a wave throughout that group of people, God was just gripping our hearts over certain truths that we wanted to go after. We wanted to spend our lives uh, giving our lives to these truths. And here's some things that I remember. Uh, I remember coming around what a lot of us call gospel-centeredness during that time. Um, and all I mean by that, uh, if you make it real personal for that group of people at the time, there were a lot of secondary things in our lives, or in a lot of our lives, that had been you know, hiked up to primary places. But God began to overwhelm us with what the scripture says about that which is of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember that a wave of people grabbing hold of this gospel centeredness. Christ is all. The gospel is everything. It, 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 it gives input to everything else that you do and believe. So I remember that. I remember um, another truth that, that God had 
struck our hearts with. All disciples that make disciples. That whole idea that we were going in, wanting to be a local church. Well, we really go after that. That there's no such thing as a disciple of Jesus Christ with no heart to obey Jesus when he says make disciples. So imagine that. It's not given over some special class of of, of ministers that make disciples and everybody else watches them. But all disciples of Jesus Christ, all Christians making disciples. We were zealous about that. And I hope still are. I remember the, the authority of the scripture, the sufficiency of the scripture overwhelming us. That we don't care about just the simple uh, or just the traditions of men. We want to know what God's word says. So if we're going to be a local church, what does God's word say about these things? How does God's word speak to our life? We don't need worldly wisdom. We need the scriptures. I remember a group of people being overwhelmed by that truth. Or the nations. You remember that? The way that wave that came over this group of people that, man, yes, we want to make disciples and we want to lift up our eyes that this is an all nations work. We want to finish the mission, take the gospel to places where it is not preached, where they don't know it to the unreached, unreached places on this planet. I remember being overwhelmed with that thought for the first time. And God just overwhelmed me with this thought that I, I want to be a person and I want us to be a church that literally is dead set on taking the gospel to unreached, unreached places on the planet. And I remember talking, I think it was actually to Brett Jeter at that time, and, and kind of, this is just what's on my heart and talking to him. And then God was doing the exact same thing. I don't know if you remember that conversation, Brett. Exact same thing happening in his life. And, and, and I just remember God doing that across the board of a group of people just zealous to get this gospel to the nations. And among all those different convictions, here's one that I want to zone in on just a little bit. There was this, at that time, a, a conviction that we had towards what we call a lot of times meaningful church membership. Meaningful church membership. That it means something to be hooked in to a local church. So here's what I mean. So, Meaningful church membership at that time and even now, that it actually means something, that it means something that you're hooked into a local church. It's not just a formality. It's not just your name on some list somewhere that nobody even really values. It's a call to each person, each member of the local church that are committed to God and to his word, are committed to one another, are committed to this mission to make disciples. And, and, and we're zealous about that. We, and I remember us being Zealous about that. And I hope we still are now. Meaningful church membership. And meaningful church membership. That whole idea. Uh, it, in that we are all held accountable. Uh, through loving encouragement. Uh, maybe through loving rebuke. And maybe loving church discipline. Through those things. We're held accountable to be members. True members. Committed members of the local church. I remember us saying we wanted to be zealous for those sort of things. You know, we'll, we'll dig into this more in just a minute, but if you do a study of the church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, you get a lot of uh, input to what I'm saying to you. And like I said, we'll dig into there in just a minute. But this is our desire. This is our prayer from the beginning. Meaningful church membership. And some of the attempts that we made to go after meaningful church membership were these. The way that every single person had joined this church, the way that every single person that's a member of Grace Community Church now They've all joined the exact same way. And it's something like this. One, they, they read the doctrinal statement of our church is what we believe. Number two, they watch this membership video where there's a little bit of teaching about membership in the local church. Three, a meeting 
with the pastors of this church, with myself and with Dustin. And in that meeting, we would share. I mean, every single person that's joined the church has gone through this. You know that if you've joined the church here. You share testimonies with one another, how you came to know Christ, how we came to know Christ. And what we're going after there is, is, is a lot of things. But one thing being that those who come to Christ are truly converted. And so it gives us a chance to, to kind of guard the front door of membership to see that those who are giving their testimony truly have come to Christ as best we know how to do that. And also it unites us around the fact that God has saved our souls. It gives us a chance to give our testimony, to kick hard against this CEO mindset of the pastor of a church. But we're your brothers in Christ, that same kind of mindset. So this is how everybody has joined the local church. And after that time, we would always make an announcement that somebody is a new member. Of the local church, we would announce that to the whole church, and then we would put them on this membership list and email it out to everybody. And that's how everybody here has joined. It's a member of Grace. That's how everybody here has joined Grace Community Church. And that was an attempt, like I said, to go after meaningful, meaningful church membership. And I think it's, it's been beautiful. I mean, from the first 20 people, 20, 30 people, some in that group we knew very, very well since college. And we're still going through that same kind of process, even to almost 150 members of this church right now. Like everybody has gone through that. It's been beautiful and it's been good. And yet I think there's been some weaknesses to it. There's been some things lacking in that mindset or in that process of somebody joining this church. And so what I want to do is I want to hear from the very beginning. Again, this is kind of like family talk, but I'm going to get into some more general uh, truths in the book of Acts in just a minute. But just some family talk here in light of the fact that I think there's some weaknesses in the way we've gone after meaningful church membership over the years. I want to present some changes to especially the members of our church. I encourage you, you got a pen, you got a paper, jot these down, maybe on the back side of that sheet that you have there. Uh, I just want to mention these changes from the front end and then we're going to dive into the book of Acts and dive into the word here, okay? Changes that we're aiming to make at Grace Community Church. Number one. It's three changes. Number one. All new members will be voted into membership by the church. All new members will be voted into membership by the church. The idea here is we've been talking the last several weeks about what the scripture says about congregational covenant membership. So this is the idea of congregational is the church's role to do this. And so up until this point, Dustin and I have met with somebody and just pretty much brought them into the church and announced it to the church. Hey, we have new members of Grace Community Church, but what we want to change is now that the church brings people in to membership. They, we vote people in to membership. This is in the course of Matthew 16. The authority of the keys of the kingdom, which is not given to church leaders, is given to the church as a whole, as a congregation. Okay, so the church disciplines people out and the church brings members in, receives members in. You see something similar in 2 Corinthians 2, 6, when it says there was a punishment that was dealt out by the majority. So, you know, you don't like the word vote. That's fine. Give me another word. But there was some sort of majority in the church of Corinth that had made a decision in the church. Some sort of majority there. Somehow they tallied that together. And so that's the kind of thing that we're going after. A vote into membership for any new members. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to some people. But listen, if you grab hold of the things we've been talking about in God's word, that, that as a member of a local church, you have a responsibility. All of a sudden, the importance of what I'm saying to you gets heightened. 
That you have a role to play in the exercise of the authority of the keys of, of the kingdom to bind and to loose. You have a responsibility for those in your local church that is heightened. And the more you grab hold of that, then what I just said to you seems important. Year after year, I hope this will be an encouragement for our church. I hope they're, you know, just, just imagine. I, I, I can remember, let me give you an example of this. Especially for you if, if you don't like the word voting for whatever reason. Let me give you an encouragement here. I remember when there was about 70, 80 members of Grace Community Church and we came around West Brewer in North Korea as, as a missionary. We got you, brother. We came behind him. And I remember with tears in my eyes getting to look, look, look him in the face on Skype, of course, and get to look him in the face and say, Wes, 80 hands just went up like this and said, we got you, brother. You're ours. You're ours. We got you, man. Go preach the gospel among all nations. I love that. And I hope there's an encouragement in our church year after year as new members come into this church and they feel like, man, that church just received me in. And I hope as those hands go up that the church feels the responsibility that we just added a body part just now as new members come into the church. So that's the first change. Second change is this. Uh, very simply, more, more th thorough instruction prior to membership. You know, maybe in some form of classes, membership classes, some form like that, but more maybe formalized or thorough instruction as people come into church membership. That'll help us to guard the front door of church membership as we've been talking about lately. And that'll also help us to set clear expectations for those who are joining. Third change here is I want us to unite around a church covenant, which is mainly what we'll be talking about today. I want us to unite Around a church covenant. What is a church covenant? Let me explain briefly. And then I'll talk to you more about it later. At the end of our time in the book of Acts. Okay. What is a church covenant? Just as what a doctrinal statement is. In, in expressing what we believe. A church covenant is a summary of how we devote ourselves to live together. Does that make sense? So a uh, uh, church covenant summarizes meaningful membership. For a local church. For a local church of believers to exist, they must covenant together. They must commit to one another. That makes sense biblically, right? Biblically, you see, to where two or three are agreed together or gathered together in my name. They're not together by accident. It's not, uh, you know, you show up at Kroger and there's a couple believers there. Like, oh, I didn't know you were here. We're a church. Okay, it's not like that. It's you agree to come together. It's to covenant together. You commit to come together. It makes sense as a local church. Makes sense that this ha this must exist to be a local church. So you, it doesn't necessarily have to be in written form, but that you covenant together. The way we have historically said that, if you remember, how many times have you heard us say, we're locking arms together. We're locking arms with these new members. Or we're locking arms for the mission of God. That's historically the way that we have said it, that we covenanted together. Or we are committed to one another. Um, and so what I want to put before you is we want to go after... A church covenant in a written form. And I'll talk to you more at the end about why I believe that will be helpful for us. Um, but in summary, I think it will help us to make um, what church membership is clear from the very beginning. Alright, so if you have any questions on those sort of things, please refer back to the teachings over the last three weeks. And upon doing that, talk to us. Ask us, okay? Ask us about these things, what you think about these changes, some questions that might Coming to your mind, feel free to ask us any questions. Now, these things are not ultimate, right? 
For there to be meaningful church membership, if you think in what I mean biblically, for that to go down, God has to do a work in the hearts of His church. It must happen that way. God must work a passion in us, humility in us, love for one another, care for one another, heart for the mission. God has to do that work. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it, according to Psalm 127. But I believe these changes will be a help to us along the way. Everybody with me? <clears throat> Alright, so here's what I want to do now. At the end of our time together, I want to read what I hope will be a church covenant that we'll unite together around. Excitedly unite around for the glory of God. Okay, I want to read that to us at the end of our time together. But first, I want you to see the heart, the heartbeat of these things from the book of Acts. I want you to see the heartbeat of these things from the book of Acts. So what we're going to look at in the book of Acts... You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. What we're going to look at in the book of Acts is the church, the local church, a people committed to one another in the name of Christ. We're going to look at this in the book of Acts, specifically in the church at Jerusalem, that the church is not just a random group of people put together that just happen to be together, but the local church are covenanted together, are committed to one another, specifically in the book of Acts in the church at Jerusalem. That's what we want to look at. And so starting off here, let's just, I want you to think with me about the storyline of the book of Acts. I want you to think about the, the story of the church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Just think about, think about it with me. In Acts chapter 1, if you just glance down at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about a, about 100 and 20. Okay. Think with me. 120. Followers of Christ in Jerusalem right here. 120 believers right here in Jerusalem. Together. Okay. You think about those people for just a moment. Think about what's already happened. Christ Jesus has already come for sinners like them. Christ Jesus has already come for wretched sinners like us and like them. And here's these 120 believers in Jerusalem, Christ has already come. He's already stirred up a massive ruckus when he began to fulfill prophecies and show himself to be the Messiah. He's healing people left and right, casting demons out. He's become famous because these things that, he, that he's doing are extraordinary. So here's Christ, the Messiah. He's already come. He's already been crucified for sinners like us. He's already died on the cross for our sins. I was, just, I was just reading this week um, the end of Matthew. And in the end of Matthew, you've got to think about it. Christ hanging on that cross for sinners. There He is hanging on the cross. And it says from 12 o'clock noon to about 3, it goes dark. Could you imagine that? There He is hanging on the cross. And all of a sudden, all these people around that are seeing this happen, specifically those, those Roman centurions that are seeing this go down, all of a sudden it goes dark while that man hangs on the cross. It's dark. The sun is shining no more. And they're, they're wigging out. What is going on here? And we know what's happening. That the wrath of Almighty God that was supposed to be poured out on sinners was getting poured out on Him instead in those moments. So it goes dark. The sun can't even shine as our wrath that we're supposed to take gets poured out on him instead as he drinks down the cup of God's wrath. 
And he's hanging on the cross and it's dark. And it says about the end of that time, about the end of that three hours, all of a sudden with a loud voice you hear, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this loud voice you imagine being there in that moment. And it's dark and maybe you can see him in some way, I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, out of the darkness, you hear this voice say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he finishes and says, It is finished. And he gives up his spirit. He died for sinners. And then suddenly the sun comes back up. And it shines a light on the Savior. It shines a light. It's like one last glimpse I'll give you of the man on the cross who died for your sins. There he is right there. Died for sinners like me and you. And so here's these 120 people in Jerusalem. Christ has died for their sins. He is risen from the grave. He is ascended on high. They saw him. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. They saw him ascend on high with his hands raised. King of kings, king of glory, seated in majesty, patiently waiting, not returning just yet, but he will soon. And here's these 120 people in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, we see, I'm going to read verse 14. All these were with, were with one accord and devoting themselves together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Think about that. Here they are, 120 believers in Jerusalem. They're, they're in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And you keep reading, you see Peter stand up and he says, listen guys, we need to obey this from God's word. He actually quotes something from the Old Testament. So you see a group of people, 120, in one accord, devoted to prayer together, devoted to the word of God together in Acts chapter 1. The church of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So there they are, that 120 people. They're still together in one place. They're waiting for the promise of Christ. When He said the Spirit was going to be poured out on my people. So they're waiting and they're praying together. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of God falls. And upon the Spirit of God falling, they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And souls are saved that day. Multitudes of men and women are saved that day. Look at verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. The gospel has gone forward by the power of the Spirit. 3,000 souls added in the church at Jerusalem. If you keep reading right there at the end of chapter 2, you get like this. It's like a snapshot of the local church at that time. You just, from verse 42 to 47, you get this snapshot of this is what the local church looked like after they were saved right there. This is what it looks like. And, and we're, gonna, we're not going to read it right now because we're going to come back to that. I want to zone in there in just a little while. But let's just keep thinking about this overview of the church of Jerusalem first. Acts chapter 3. You've got a people devoted to one another and pushing the gospel of Jesus forward. Acts chapter 4. Turn there. Acts chapter 4. Persecution hits, but the kingdom is still advanced. Look at verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So there's the persecution. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So here, you got these people. They're committed to one another. 
in prayer together, and yet, and at the same time, the gospel is bursting forward and souls are being saved in Acts chapter 4. We see in Acts chapter 4 that there, that after some of this pers- these, these leaders get out of jail, and the pers- at the end of this persecution, these leaders, at least for this time, they get out of jail, they go back to the people. Listen, just think about this committed to one another right here. Look at verse 23. And when they were released, that's from prison, they went to their friends. I love it. They went to the Christians. They went to the church. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. So here's these people devoted to one another, devoted to prayer, lifting their voices in one accord to God. And at the end of that prayer, it says the spirit of God comes upon them and they preach the the word of God with boldness. Here's these people committed to one another, committed to prayer together, committed to the word of God, committed to the mission. And at the end of chapter four, we see another snapshot of the church in verse 32 through 37. Now, again, we're going to come back to that. We see that snapshot of the church in verse 32 through 37. You get to Acts chapter five, sin. Oh, no. Sin arises in the church in Jerusalem. Sin rears its ugly head. God deals with it. And what you see at the end of God dealing with his sin in the church, you still see a church set apart from the world, committed to one another and unstoppable in the mission of God. Look at verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all imagine these people. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest there joined them. I love that little statement. It's like, man, they are together. They are devoted to one another. They got their own little spot in the temple now. Ain't nobody else coming near it. And yet they respected them. And yet they held them in high esteem. And listen, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So here's these people devoted to one another, caring for one another, committed to one another. And yet busting the Great Commission wide open. Acts chapter 6, we see more problems arise in Acts chapter 6. And it has to do with their, you know, the church of Jerusalem has this list of widows now that they care for. They care for their widows. And in this list of widows, there becomes some contention over some not getting cared for enough or not at all. And so there becomes this this contention here. It's dealt with in Christian love and the gospel continues to spread through them. That's found in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 6. Let me read you the the bread of it, both ends of it. Look at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrew. And so you see the, the problem. But what's happening when the problem arises? Man, they're multiplying. The gospel is going forward through the mouth of God's people. And people are being saved. They deal with the problem. And look at verse 7. Look how it ends in verse, in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So again, you see these people caring for one another. They even have a list of their own widows. Nobody else is care for them. We're going to care for our widows in this church. And they, and they care for one another. And yet they're busting the Great Commission wide open. You see this inward look. You hear people talk about that, right? Are we an outward focused church or an inward focused church? I want to be both. I want to be focused in whether we care and love one another. And yet at the same time, the Great Commission is pursued with zeal. You get to Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. 
persecution gets hotter among these people, but the gospel continues to spread. Now, at this point, as persecution gets hotter, the gospel begins to spread because the people in Jerusalem are having to scatter all over the region now because they're trying to kill them. Now, as that's happening, as that kind of thing is happening, this. The church of Jerusalem no longer becomes the main point of the book of Acts, or at least the, the main point as far as local churches are concerned. We begin to pick it up talking about other local churches as we go past chapter 8 in the book of Acts. But as we get glimpses back to the church of Jerusalem, we see many things in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15. We get glimpses back into the church at Jerusalem. So, for example, Acts chapter 12, we see them all gathered together in a house. Not all the church was there, but they're gathered together in Mary's house and they're praying for Peter. Because Peter's in jail. They're going to execute Peter and they're just praying together for Peter. That's an example. You see a plurality of leadership, a plurality of pastors in the local church at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. You see the church of Jerusalem shooting out laborers to other places to preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches. You see that in the book of Acts. Okay, so all in all, we see a church here in this overview. We see a church committed to one another and obsessed about the Great Commission. Committed to one another and obsessed about the Great Commission. And that's an overview of the storyline in the book of Acts and for the church at Jerusalem. Next thing I want you to see is this before we kind of get into Acts 2 and Acts 4. I told you about a minute ago, those snapshots of the church. One thing I want you to see here before we go there. I want you to see that in the church at Jerusalem, there was clarity on who was in the church and who was out. In the church of Jerusalem, there was clarity on who was in and who was out. We call that church membership. I think it's a good term for it. According to 1 Corinthians 12, being members of the same body. But regardless of what you call it, they had clarity in the church of Jerusalem. Who was a part, who was in, who was not a part, who was out. Let me give you three biblical evidences for that. Number one is this. The numbers that you see. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it gives us a number. About 120 are there. Okay, that has some kind of way to account for that. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 were added that day. At the end of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, we saw 5,000. 5,000. So you have these numbers given to us that make us think that there was some clarity about who was in, who was out. It wasn't just this hazy thing that nobody knew. Let me give you another evidence. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 28. I think we see uh, clarity in the church of Jerusalem on who's in, who's out. Verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he's talking about Paul, had got, Paul hated Christians. But in Acts chapter 9 earlier, in Antioch, he was saved. He was saved. Excuse me, and, and on the road to Emmaus, he was saved. So here's, here's, Paul has been now saved, and he's coming back into Jerusalem. And look at verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. So think about that. Paul is trying to join the disciples. And that's not a word for just hang out with them or spend some time with them. The idea there is he tried to glue himself together. That word join in the Greek. To glue himself together to these disciples. He tried to submit himself to this local church. He tried to make it concrete. To make it solid that he was there with this church. The NAS says it like this. 
He was trying to associate with the disciples in Jerusalem. He was trying to get in on the association there. Well, why could he not do that? There's a clear line here of who's out and who's in. In Matthew 19, 5, it says, He shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Same word. Be joined to his wife. Paul tried to join this local church, these group of disciples here in Jerusalem. But he couldn't because look at it. And they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So here you see a clear picture of him. He's trying to get in. Well, just show up, Paul. Just be around. Well, he can't. He's trying to associate. He's trying to hook in. He's trying to cement himself. But he can't. And even, even if it was rooted in fear, so we see that this process of who's out and who's in can be messed up by men. But in the same note, think about it. They did not believe he was a believer. And so what happened? Barnabas grabs him. And look at what Barnabas does. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. It's the leadership of the church at this time. And he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas gives reasons that they should believe that Paul is truly a Christian. So what happens next? Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. So he is. He's trying to hook himself. He's trying to join. He can't do it. But now he's going in and out among these disciples. here. So I think you see clarity with these numbers and with this passage, who's out and who's in. I'm not going to say much about this because we mentioned it several times, but a third reason to think this way is you know that the church in Jerusalem had pastors or also called elders at the church. And if you understand the role to watch out for their souls as those who must give an account, you can guarantee that there's clarity on who I'm supposed to be watching out for. There's clarity on who's out and who's in. So, the church of Jerusalem, think about it. It's not just some vague, unclear mass of people who are gathered together in the same building on a Sunday. The church of Jerusalem is clearly a clearly defined group of people. And we call that so often church membership. Now, as you think about the church of Jerusalem like that. So you think about these people committed to one another. Busting the great commission wide open, going after it. You see this group of people, it's clear who's in, who's out. There's clarity there. Now, now here's what I want to do. I want us to look at this truth that the church is a people committed to one another. The church is a people covenanted together. And I want to look at it from these two snapshots in Acts 2 and Acts 4 of the local church, okay? So we're about to read it. So go to Acts 2 if you're not already there. Go to Acts 2. We're going to start in verse... 42 in just a moment. And when you read these, when we read these together, we're about to read them. Get your heart ready. When we read these together, you're going to see a people, not that just happen to be together, by accident, you see a people committed to one another, devoted to one another. I want to ask you this. Excuse me. Before we read this passage, as I read these, as I studied these this week, I remember the first time I ever read this passage. Do you remember that? You remember the first time you ever read, you're coming through Acts, you don't, I mean, if you did have, if you're, if you're like me, you didn't have, you know, any kind of idea what the Bible says, everything's new, you know? But maybe you had some church background, you know, and you, and you understood some things in the Bible, so not everything's new. But almost for everybody, this, at the end of Acts 2, and the end of Acts 4, feels new to you. You read it. What did that do to you the first time you read it? Do you remember it? 
You remember reading this? And I think so many people could say, man, I was blown away. I had this feeling of amazement, this feeling of wonder just come over me. And it was filled, it was backed up by hope that God might do this in the local church. And I want to be a part of that church right there. God, where is that on planet Earth? You might have thought something like that. Do you remember the desire in you to see that? Do you remember the, the hope that that would happen? And let me ask you this. Have you been jaded to that? Have you gotten tired of that thought? Bored with that thought? I want to encourage you. If you've lost your wonder. You've lost your expectation. Your hope that God does things like this. I want, I want you to read it right now with me. And I want God to flood our hearts back. With the wonder and the amazement of that first time you read these passages. John Calvin said this. He said, and he's talking about Acts 2 and 4. I thought this was interesting. He said, we must have hearts that are harder than iron if we are not moved by the reading of this narrative. So let's not let our hearts be as hard as iron. Let's read this together. Look at verse 42. Snapshots of the local church. And they... Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Go to Acts 4. Another snapshot, verse 32. A few more people have been added to the church since, since this time. Or when we get to here, a few more people have been added to the church of Jerusalem. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that, that was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostles by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Levi, the native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. So if you read this, and this is your snapshot of local church, here's what you know. The local church is not an event. It's not an event. It's not just some kind of event. It's a family. And, and all Christians are a part of the family of God. So all Christians on all the planet are family. But it's like your local church is like immediate family. It's immediate family. So to say something like, if you're talking about you and your brother, and you're talking to somebody else, you say, yeah, me and him. To say, we go to the same church is not as accurate as saying something like this. We are committed to one another in the same church. Or we are covenanted to the same church. Think about those phrases. We're committed to one another in the same church or we go to the same church. Which one of those fits according to the pictures you see of the church here? 
Church is not an event. It's like a media family. So what I want to give you now are six observations. Six observations that we can see from this, these two snapshots of the church about specific ways that the church of Jerusalem were committed to one another. And therefore specific ways that we ought to be as Grace Community Church, those who are members here, we ought to be committed to one another. So here's six observations. We'll go through these fast. Number one is this. They were committed to loving one another. They were committed to loving one another. Now you can see an obvious, what we just read. You can see an obvious undercurrent of love and care for one another throughout those passages. But maybe one little passage that shows it the clearest is chapter 4 verse 32. Look at it. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I love that. That church, man, they were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. This language reminds me of a David and Jonathan kind of love. You remember reading about that in the Old Testament? The way David and Jonathan loved one another? Let me read a couple of verses from that. 1 Samuel chapter 18, listen to this. You don't have to flip there, just listen. As soon as, as, soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul, listen. Imagine this love among the church. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. You can literally say the life of Jonathan was bound up with the life of David. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Listen, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. You see these, this covenant together in love for one another. Man, they love one another as his own soul he loves him. Keep going. Look at 1 Samuel. Or let me just read it to you. Verse, chapter 20, verse 17. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. You ever love somebody like that? He loved him as his own soul. Let me give you one more. That a lot of folks don't know what to do with. I'm just going to read it to you. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. I'm distressed for you, as David speaking. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary. Surpassing the love of women. They loved each other. And so when I think about Acts 4, these people committed to loving one another. They are one heart and one soul. And so I want you to just listen. We're going to read our church covenant. This, this church covenant we're going to put before you in just a minute. But listen to this little piece of the church covenant we're going to read. This is, this is what we've got written on the church covenant. It says this. We will walk together in Christian love. Imagine being devoted to one another in this sort of love. We will walk together in Christian love. Caring for and watching over one another with brotherly affection. Look, I'm, I'm thankful. And I think many of you could say this. I'm thankful that you, us, this church is a loving church. I feel loved by this church. And I think many, many people could say that. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Are there times when you felt not very loved? Absolutely, no doubt. But when it's all said and done, and I think about the people and the affections that are in my soul, then they're in your soul for me and for one another and all of us together. Man, I'm thankful for what God has done in this church. And yet at the same time, Grace Community Church, we need to grow in this, right? The scripture says we need to abound still more and more. So ask yourself that question. Do you have this Jonathan David affection for one another? How's your heart in that? Are you committed to loving one another? 
That's number one. Number two is this. They were committed. Number two. They were committed to the corporate nature of the local church. They were committed to the corporate nature of the local church. And let me explain that. Corporate nature of the local church. It's the idea that, that is the church the people? Absolutely, the church is the people. The church is not a building scripturally. The church is the people of God. But, but there's a way that can be overcooked. Okay? Because there's another system which the church, the church is the church corporate. It's us together. It's, the church is an organization as well as an organism. It's both together. The church corporate. I want you to think about a verse. First Timothy chapter 5. I believe it's verse 16. When you think about that verse, listen to this. It's talking about the church in Ephesus and their list of widows that they care for. They have a list that must meet certain requirements of these widows that they care for. And in giving instruction about this list, Paul says this. He says, if there's any believing woman among you who has a relative who is a widow, let her care for the widow. Listen, let the believing woman care for the widow so that the church is not burdened and that it might really care for those who are truly widows. Now think about that. If you overcook the church is the people, somebody might say, hey, let the believing woman care for them so the church isn't burdened. They might say, well, she is a church. She's burdened. Do you get what I'm saying? So there's a sense and you think of the church is corporate and personal. There's a corporate nature togetherness. You alone are not the church per se. We're the church together, the church corporate. So when you think about Grace Community Church, for example, our church corporate, what kind of things are you, are you thinking about? You're thinking about the assemblies of Grace Community Church. You're thinking about the leaders of Grace Community Church or the deacons at Grace Community Church. You're thinking about the missionaries that we come behind and set out, the goals, the aims. Maybe you even think about voting. You're thinking about the corporate nature of the local church. And these people were committed to that. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Look at it. They were, they were committed to the corporate nature of the local church. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to something. They were committed to something. And it's four things. They were committed to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now think about this for a moment. Each one of these, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, has, has a definite article at the beginning of them. So it's not, you know, a prayer, but it's the prayers. It's not a breaking of bread, but the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, okay? So when you're thinking about they devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Which does not mean they just kicked it with an apostle every now and then. What it means they're devoted to what they taught. They're there when they're teaching the truth. In which we do, we have it in the scriptures that they're devoted to that. To the teaching of the apostles. They're devoted to the fellowship. That's not, I just, we just got to get some fellowship together. I need, we need to, I need to give me some fellowship. It's not talking about that. It's the fellowship. It, it means the partnership. Think the aims and the goals of Grace Community Church or the aims and the goals of this church coming together. They were devoted to that partnership between one another. It's higher than just me. It's higher than just you. It's us together, the corporate nature of the church. Or they devoted themselves to what else? It says to, to the breaking to the breaking of bread. That's not just breakfast or lunch. That's when we come together to break bread for the Lord's Supper. That event right there. Man, we're devoted to that in remembrance of Christ. Or the prayers. 
Of course we should be devoted to praying in general. But this is talking about the prayers when the people of God meet to pray and to petition the living God in a corporate manner. He said they are devoted to that. They're devoted to the corporate nature of the church. I love the corporate aspects of Grace Community Church. I get excited every time we meet together as a church. I get excited when people come over to the Bible studies at my house. And when I get to sneak into another Bible somewhere. If y'all do lunch. I mean dinner. I'll come next time. Right? When they do so. When I get to be around the corporate. You know, thought, Thinking about the deacons of our church. And what they're doing. Or, or the missionaries we support. You know. Uh, I love voting. <laughs> I love it. Think about that. Think about what we do. We come together and we say, yes, amen, that's a good thing. And we're in it together. Let's go. That's what voting is. Okay? Are you committed to the corporate nature? Are you committed to the corporate nature of the local church? And just to go beside that, number three. Number three, third observation. They were committed to the personal nature of the local church. Look at Acts 2, verse 46. The second half of it, look, it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I love that. So you're getting a snapshot of the local church, and he decides to mention in that snapshot, they received their food together with glad and generous hearts. The NAS says, the NAS says it like this. It says, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. You're thinking about hospitality, being in each other's homes, being together, living life together, the personal nature of the local church. I love this at GCC. I love it at Grace Community. I love it that, that the openness that of being in other people's homes, of you guys inviting us in and us getting to invite you in and willing to be in each other. I love that kind of thing. I love the growth in that that's happening where more and more there's just personal nature of people loving one another in their lives. I love it. And yet we can grow in it, right? Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing, if you're a member of Grace Community Church, are you experiencing the personal nature of the local church? They're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Are you experiencing that? Because I want you to. Fourth, they were committed to one another with their resources. And I say resources because it's greater than just money. It definitely includes money, but it's greater than that when you read these passages. They were committed to one another with their resources. Look at these verses. Verse 44, chapter 2, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You see the love and the care for one another? And sharing the open-handedness with the things of this world, the material things of this world. They're just open-handed with it for the glory of God. Go, go to chapter 4. It gives you a better description of it or a more detailed description of it in chapter 4. Look at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believe were one heart and soul and no one, get this, no one said that any of the things that belong to him, so they do belong to him, but nobody said any of the things that belonged to him were his own. That's nuts. You think about that? A people open-handed like that? Nobody said anything that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Why? 
Why were there no needy people among them? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Wow. These people have to think about it. They have been free from the root of all evil. They've been free from the love of money. Free from the love of the possessions of this world. So that they are freed up to live dangerously and sacrificially with the stuff that they have. And the money that they give for the glory of God and the good of the church. That's awesome. And that's what you see. Well, that's the heart that you see in this passage. You see the same thing. Let me read another verse to you. Hebrews chapter 10. You see the exact same thing. Listen. Hebrews 10 verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a, a hard struggle with suffering. So he's, he's saying, guys, remember when you had hard sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Here it is. You got these people in jail. They, they're in trouble for preaching Christ. And, and here's these believers. They got a choice. They can either, I'm going to stay away from that unless I get in trouble. Unless I get thrown in jail. Unless my stuff gets taken away. But rather they say, we're going to make ourselves partnered up and go help those people that are in jail for their faith. We're going to go to them. And look what the consequence is. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison... And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. The plundering of your property. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see that? These people are free from the love of money. Free from the root of all evil. So that when they see a brother in need, they can go meet the need regardless of what might happen to them. Because they got a better possession in heaven, right? I love this where God... Is done in his church. I love this phrase that church covenant. I want to read to you in a moment. Here's a phrase from it. Listen. We will give cheerfully and generously for the support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. I love that. A group of people with the same goal for our resources, his glory among all nations, helping the poor, the building up of the body of Christ. I love that. So do you envision this at Grace Community Church? Is this the way you envision it? How's your heart in this? Freed up from a grip that the world has on you in resources. Do you envision this at grace? A people pulling together their resources for these things. You know, can you, can you imagine the world looking in on that? And we know they thought they were crazy, right? They're in Solomon's portico and nobody joining them. Okay? Can you imagine the world looking in on that? Of what's going on? Man, nobody's even needy among these people. Why? And it's not that, you know, when just rich folks getting saved. Nobody's needy among them. Wow, man, they just love each other. They, look at these people committed to one another. Getting rid of things of this earth, possession of this earth, so that they might leverage their life for the glory of God and His church. Could you imagine the world looking in? There's, there's a, uh, something I read about this week. I read it before, but a guy named, uh, it's, it's Emperor Julian. You might have heard this before. In 360 A.D., he wrote this letter to another guy because he was angry. You see, Julian was a pagan that worshipped false gods. And he was mad that these Christians' religion was ex expanding and increasing and folks were being saved. And his pagan religion of false god was being diminished. 
And he's mad about it. And so he writes this letter, and this is what he says. He says, Observe how the kindness of the Christians to strangers and their care for the burial of their dead and the sobriety of their lifestyle has done the most to advance their cause. The, the impious Galilean, that's what he called them, these Galileans, these sorry Galileans, they support our poor in addition to their own. So you imagine the world looking in, and there's a picture from 360 AD of the world looking in and going, man, what is this all about? By this I will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Fifth observation is this, fifth observation. These people were committed to the assemblies of, the cor of corporate worship and mutual encouragement. So these people were committed to the assemblies of corporate worship and mutual encouragement. Look at chapter 2, verse 46, first part of verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. I think it's a sweet picture here. You see a, a, some evidence, some, some evidence, shred of evidence here of large gatherings of the local church while they're uniting in the temple together at this time before the persecution got to Heated. You see evidence of smaller gatherings of the local church. They met in one another's homes. I think the picture of what we go after this in Grace Community Church is this gathering on the Sunday meeting as a larger gathering and Bible studies in our homes throughout the week. I think you see more evidence for stuff like this in Acts chapter 12. Remember, Peter got out of jail in Acts 12. How do you know to go to Mary's house? How do you know people would be there praying? Seems like it happened regularly where the people of God gathered together in Mary's house to pray. And the whole church wasn't there because as Peter left, he said, hey, tell James and the other brothers and them that, that, well, what happened. Does that make sense? And so I think you see evidence for this large gathering of the local church and these smaller gatherings of the local church. And you see it right here. And they were devoted to these meetings. This, they're devoted to these meetings. This is the place where they see, where they hear the Apostles' Doctrine. This is the place where they take the Lord's Supper together. This is the place where they, they come together with the prayers of the saints. This is where they do that. So they're devoted to the assemblies of the saints. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 is a warning for us not to slip away from what they did. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says. And let us consider how to stir one another on, excuse me, how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we're talking about one another, not neglecting the meeting, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So it can be a habit to begin to neglect what the church of Jerusalem was doing in the assemblies devoted to those assemblies. Not neglecting, excuse me, I lost it. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, as you see the day drawing near. How are you doing with this? So Grace Community Church, how are you doing being devoted to the assemblies like they are? How have you responded to, you know, this, for you that are members, you know that Dustin and I sent a letter out about these things a little while back. How are you responding to that? Do you see that that's in love for every Every member of our local church, for us as a body of Christ, as a whole, in love, we send out that letter and encourage us to be faithful in these things. How have you responded? How are you doing in those things? Which, by the way, I love the gatherings of our church. I love this. I hope you do too. 
Six, last one. Six observations. They were committed to one another in the mission. In the mission. Look at chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And if you know about the mission of God in the scriptures, you know that how they're going to believe in Him and then I heard, how they're going to hear without a preacher. So these people are preaching the Word of God and the Lord is adding to their number day by day. These are people committed to one another in the mission of God. I love this. Every member, a gospel proclaimer. Every member, a disciple maker. Every member, a goer into the nations and unreached places or a sender. Nothing in between. You're a goer or you're a sender. I love in Acts chapter 8 verse 4. When persecution gets heated and the people begin to scatter, the apostles stay there. So this is not about the just, just the apostles preaching the word. Because in verse 4 of chapter 8 it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Man, here's these people. They're going out throughout the city and when they get scattered from persecution, they're going through other cities and they're preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Our church covenant, that part of the church covenant that we want to put before you says it like this. We commit to obey the great commission together. We commit to partner together in the gospel as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. We will refrain from a civilian lifestyle and strive to finish the mission of our Lord. I love this about our church that I can bring somebody around that's not in Christ and I can rest assured as I bring them. I got confidence as I bring them that not just myself, that other people are going to engage them and in love and in care begin to share Christ with them. I love that. I love it that when I see you with somebody that I don't know, and if they're an unbeliever, they don't know Christ, that I know that there's something in most of you that you love that person and you want them to know Christ and you're going to give them the gospel. I love that about our church and, and yet I think we can grow in that too, right? Are you committed to the mission? Are you committed? So think about it personally. Are you committed to the mission? How's your zeal, your passion for the mission of God. Are you a faithful sender? Do you, do you know who our missionaries are at Grace Community Church? Do you pray for them? Are you a faithful sender? Do you give to them? Are you a faithful sender? Even outside, I, mean, I think we give to them together. Well, I don't think we do. We give to them together as a local church. But even outside of that, there was a, an example with the pools. I asked them about it. I hope I'm going to call them out. Of, gathered some things together and send it to the Tisberries over there. And, the, and they felt loved and cared for. I was encouraged by that. Encouraged by that. Given a good sender, a heart for the mission. So, Grace Community Church, may we follow in the footsteps of these, these snapshots of the local church and the things that we're observing about the local church here. May we follow in the footsteps of these things. Now, let me mention something. I want all of us to think, each one of us, especially each member of Grace Community Church, or, or if you've told me you want to be a member of Grace Community Church, please hear me out individually. I want you to examine your commitments to the local church. Examine it. Even away from here. Own your face with an open Bible saying, God, lead me in these commitments that He's talking about right now. I want to bring this before you. I want you to think individually. Okay, just really quick. Flowing out of that snapshot of the local church in Acts chapter 4 are two examples, two individual examples given to us. Go back to Acts 4 real quick. I want you to see what I mean. 
I want you to use this to examine yourself as an individual devoted, committed to one another. So verse 32 through verse 35 of Acts chapter 4 is the, the snapshot of the local church right there. Boom. Then you get a good example of an individual in that local church in verse 35. Excuse me, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who's also called Barnabas, and we see what he did. He had this open heart, free from the love of money, given to the saints. He had that kind of mindset. And then chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, you get the bad examples. So you got a good example, bad example. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. These are connected. You're, it's meant to see that, you see, in verse 35, it, it ends with saying they were laying these things at the apostles' feet, right? And then flowing out of that are two examples. The example of Barnabas, which he uses the same phrase, he laid it at their feet. And the example of Ananias and Sapphira, who also laid it at their feet. You get two examples that you're, it's meant that you would contrast these two things. Look at these two individual examples within the context of this local church. That's the idea. So the good example you see, truly, sincerely committed to God, truly, sincerely committed to the church in Barnabas. You see that? And with Ananias and Sapphira, you see the bad example in verse 1 through 11. We're not going to read it, but I want you to think about what they did. What did they do? They acted in such a way that they want to put up a shell of committed church membership. They want to put on a show of it to where it looks like we're committed in some sense. But the reality is in the heart of it, they were not. See, the problem is not that they only gave, you know, Barnabas laid it all down. The problem is not that they only gave part of the proceeds. That's not the part of how much they gave, how much they did. That's not the issue because just a little bit later, Peter says, when you had it, was it not your own? Was it not your own to give? The problem was he came and laid it at the apostles' feet like Barnabas. But he tried to act like I'm laying it all down. Look at this, this, this shell. Look how religious I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look how committed I am. And he tries to lay it down, but he's deceiving them. He's lying to the Holy Spirit. And so that's the picture of the problem of what's going on here with Ananias and Sapphira. And so then God goes on to make it abundantly clear. Abundantly clear that he hates this facade, this fake commitment that's not really hates it, and he kills both Ananias and Sapphira. Now you might say that seems harsh, but listen to me. God is making a point from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he's making a point. I think there's others who have done this over the centuries that did not drop dead after they did it. I think God from the very beginning, he's making a point that I hate this. I despise this false fake, hypocritical commitment in the local church that just does it to seem a certain way. And we should feel warned by that, right? We should be warned by that. We think about commitments to the local church, commitments to God, that it's not just I show up on Sunday and I got my name on a list in this, this facade of a commitment, but it's real. It's sincere. I think we need to be warned by this passage. And so one way, one thing that will help us heed this warning and live out Sincere commitment to one another is a written church covenant. A written church covenant that we can unite around for the glory of God and building up of the body of Christ in all nations. Okay? I think we're going to read it in just a minute. I think if you think about this written church covenant, we, we're, we have to be covenanted together to be a church anyway, so we are, no doubt, if you're here and you're a member. But to have it in written form will help us to guard the front door of church membership. You know what I mean if you've been here the last few Sundays? 
That'll help us to guard the front door church membership, to give clarity of what's what we mean by joining a local church. It'll give us, it'll help us in opening the back door of church discipline. There's no haziness for what is expected in a local church among a body of believers. And I think it'll help encourage us and even hold us accountable along the way. Okay? So that's what we're going after the church covenant. We're going to read it together. Um, got Hunter. Hunter's going to put it up here for us so we can read it together. It's our pastor of media and technology here. Just kidding. It's not true. So as we read this, I want you to think about excitingly, excitedly coming around. Am I on the way? I'm going to move over. As you think about excitedly coming around this together, okay? Can y'all sit? No? I didn't think about this. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to try to move back this far. Right? I'm going to read it to us, and I just want it up there so that you can see it together. I know some of you in the back, some of you in the back might still have some trouble seeing but here it is, okay? Think about this. Think about excitedly coming around this, uniting around this together as a local church. Beautiful man. Listen. We as a local church of Jesus Christ, having been led by the Spirit of God to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now joyfully... Renew our commitments to God, His mission, and one another. Our commitments to God. We commit to live for God's glory in every area of life. We will strive by God's grace to live a holy life, denying all ungodliness. We will hold fast to the Lord through our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We will seek the Lord through regular Bible reading and commune with the Lord through regular prayer. We will submit to God's Word revealed in Scripture as our final Authority, our commitments to his mission. We commit to obey the great commission together. We commit to partner together in the gospel. As good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we will refrain from a civilian lifestyle and strive to finish the mission of our Lord. We will seek to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world by taking up the evangelistic ministry of reconciliation. We commit to pray fervently for gospel fruit in our city and among the nations. As a local church, we will commit to train, equip, and send laborers into the all-nations harvest. Our commitments to one another. We commit to draw near to God in corporate worship. We will not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. We will keep the ordinances of the Lord that the Lord has given His church by being baptized after conversion and regularly remembering the work of Christ through communion. We will sustain the purity of both the worship and doctrine of this church. We will submit to the appointed elders who have been entrusted by God to serve and care for this church. We will honor and assist the appointed deacons as leading servants in this church. We will give cheerfully and generously for the support of the church, the relief for the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will walk together in Christian love, caring for and watching over one another in brotherly affection. We will eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and bear one another's burdens with tenderness and sympathy. We will aid one another in suffering. We will not use our Christian freedoms in such a way that causes others to stumble. We will not neglect to pray for one another. We commit to building each other up. We will strive to advance this church in the knowledge of God and practical holiness. We will spur one another on to love and good deeds. We will faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. 
We will humbly and gently confront one another and receive correction from one another in accordance with the New Testament understanding of church discipline and restoration. We will refrain from slander. We'll be, we will be slow to take offense and quick to reconcile. We commit to only leave this church for righteous reasons. Upon leaving this local church, we will unite with a like-minded church where we can carry out these Christian commitments as defined by the Word of God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Let's pray. I hope you see in this the heart of what we're talking about next. I hope you see it in what was just written. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we could come to you right now and ask you for help in what we just read. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty and powerful work, God, like we just read about in your word. What you did at the church of Jerusalem, God, do that work in our lives. And I praise you, God. I, I worship you, Lord. And I don't, I, I don't want to skip out acknowledging that you have done that. That you have done so much, God, to create in us a, a, a church of, of, of people that love one another. A, a church devoted to the corporate nature of the church. A, a church is devoted to one another in all these ways. And I praise you, God, that you have done that. That you've done a mighty, mighty work. And I just ask you, God, please do more. Do more, God. Grow us more. Make us more like Christ. Make us more fruitful in this city and in all nations. Please, please help us, God. We, we plead with you to make us a church that's well-pleasing in your sight in all, in all different kinds of ways. God, we want to love you and worship you well. We want to serve you well. Please help us, God. God, I pray that you would help us to unite around this covenant together. That you would make our commitments with one another clear and heartfelt, God. God, I pray that you would use this covenant for your glory, for your namesake, God, for the building up of your church and for your glory among all the nations, Lord. God, help us, Lord. God, I pray that you would bless these things for many generations to come. God, I pray that long after, that everybody's sitting here today, long after we are dead and gone, I pray, God, that if you had not returned yet, that you would continue to use this church for your glory in the coming generations, Lord. God, use this church among our children and our children's children. God, we want to be your servants. We exist for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.